city for how many years has it been? 17, 18 years, something like that? Not 19 years. And in fact, uh, this week, uh, he pastors, of course, the All Nations Baptist Church of Woodhaven. Some of you guys have been down there. And they do have several satellite churches. Lord's bless them. And, and I'm, not, I'm not bragging. I'm just saying the, the facts. The matter is, I think they have the, the second largest church that I know of, of independent Baptist flavor, striping all the five boroughs of New York. I'm not sure about that, but I'm pretty sure that's pretty accurate. And he's shaking and said, no, that's not the truth, but I think it is the truth. He's just trying to be modest. And Lord's blessed in a great way. Just so happens that Pastor McArdle, and then a little, little uh, uh, heartbeat for me a little bit, uh, just, Pastor McArdle started a church. Uh, 20, he was there for 50 some four, 54 years in the city, 24 years he pastored or something like that, the All Nations Baptist Church. He just went home to heaven on Sunday at 90, 92 years of age. And... And uh, so he's with the Savior, of course, and they're having a memorial service still planned in the future here, I guess, of course, in regards to that. Hey, one more wild curveball before you come. Have you guys ever done, I'm putting you on the spot now, have you, have you done the New York City Harbor Cruise? Is it worth it? It's really good. We may do a Harvest, Harvest Heritage trip, one-day trip to do the Harbor Cruise. That would be so cool. I've never done that, of course. And uh, uh, I'm, I'm serious. We're doing these little one-day trips, and we might put that on the docket to do and uh, look forward to that. Brother Dan, you come and preach for us. So Amen. thanks for having that, being with us tonight. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right, good evening. All right. Well, I am grateful to be here, and uh, we always enjoy coming and being able to obviously see our family and uh, get to catch up with them a little bit. And then uh, it's been great to, to get to see some of you who we've gotten to know uh, over the years. And uh, so we're glad that you're here tonight. I really like the missions aboard. That's new. I hadn't seen that. And uh, that's, that's just really a, a good visual and a good reminder. But we pray for you, pray for your church here, and uh, appreciate the prayers tonight. We, we need your prayers. I bring you greetings from the land of Mike Bloomberg. And Bill de, Bill de Blasio, and uh, of course uh, Emperor Cuomo, and so uh, <clears throat> we need your prayers for sure. And uh, it's a wild, wild scene. There's a lot of stuff going on down there, but uh, the reality is a lot of people need Jesus. And so, uh, you know, the good thing about New York is you can kind of try anything and probably reach somebody. So uh, you know, you just gotta stay the course. And so. Um, uh, we, we need your prayers, and that's a big, big part of it. It gets frustrating sometimes, doesn't it, to follow the Lord and to serve the Lord. And there are times when you just think, like, is it worth it? Times when you think, you know, uh, how much longer? And uh, it's important for us to just be encouraged. And sometimes we need to be encouraged on a daily basis that uh, this, this thing of following the Lord is definitely worth it. Amen. And that... Uh, there's nothing greater in the whole wide world. I didn't say there's nothing easier, uh, but there's nothing greater. And we need to be mindful of that. And at times, there's nobody to remind us of that but God himself. And so tonight, I hope uh, just to share a bit of encouragement uh, for you to just keep at it. Uh, it's good to see each of you here tonight. And uh, just remain faithful. Uh, New England is not a spiritually easy place either. And uh, we lived here for five years ourselves prior to moving to New York. And uh, 
I met a guy who came to our service this morning who spent 30 years outside of Boston working in a ministry there. And uh, he said, I, I left there and uh, went to an easier place, New York City. And so I said, well, what is wrong with you? And, you know, the, the two difficult places to minister, to share your faith at times, but yet God's given us a great message and he's done great things in our lives and we're to stay the course. Amen. Uh, Psalm 13 tonight. I understand pastors preaching through the Psalms and uh, uh, I uh, don't think I'm, I'm taking a Psalm that he's going to be preaching on, but uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm, that sounds like a great series and I'm, I'm excited that you're going to get to hear that over the next several weeks. The book of Psalms is obviously just a book full of so many, uh, I think, life-relevant uh, topics, issues, experiences. And tonight, um, we're just going to read this little psalm here in just a moment, and I hope um, we can draw out some encouragement uh, for each of us tonight. I read a story not long ago, and I thought I'd share it, so it was uh, quite an encouragement to me. In 1983, the inaugural Australian ultra-marathon foot race was to take place. This was a 544-mile grueling race from Sydney to Melbourne. An odd competitor arrived at this race. Every other runner was a qualified, highly trained, had commercial sponsorship, but not this runner. His name was Cliff Young. Cliff Young was a 61-year-old farmer. He arrived at the starting point with no running shoes, no athletic wear, he was donning no athletic logos. As a matter of fact, when Cliff showed up, he was wearing a loose white shirt flapping over baggy overalls. He wore rubber galoshes over his boots. He had a white baseball cap on his head with sunscreen flaps. The marathon officials laughed because, quite frankly, they thought they were being set up for some kind of a joke. But Cliff was serious. So his name was registered. A number was pinned to his faded overalls. There was much uncertainty about Cliff Young. How was this older farmer going to compete with highly trained athletes who had sculpted bodies? Some thought he was an absolute joke. Some thought Cliff might really be utterly naive or maybe he was a little bit mentally deranged. Maybe he was suffering from Alzheimer's. Some of the crowd even jeered and shouted insults at him at the starting line. Finally, the firing gun sounded, and the crowd laughed when they saw all these disciplined strides of all these trained runners compared to Cliff's awkward shuffle. However, five days, 14 hours, and four minutes later, the crowd was not laughing as Cliff Young crossed the Melbourne finish line almost 10 hours before the second place contestant crossed. Isn't that amazing? The astonished press descended upon Cliff. They could not believe it. How is this possible? How did this aging farmer accomplish such a spectacular run? After all the interviews and conversations, they concluded two things. One, Cliff had grown up on a sheep farm that belonged to his family. His family was too poor to really own a horse, so often as a boy, he had herded the sheep himself alone, 
sometimes running day and night. But secondly, and maybe most importantly, they concluded, Cliff did not realize that runners in the ultra marathon stopped at night to sleep. So he had pressed on and continued the entire distance without having a full night of sleep. And in doing so, he finished some 10 hours in front of anyone else. He kept going. He didn't stop. He was persistent for the goal. And he had finished ahead of everybody else. Now, if that doesn't encourage you um, to be uh, uh, one who perseveres in life, I don't know what else would. I thought that was a great example of, of what it means to persevere. And the reality is... As a Christian, we are called upon in our life, in our walk, in our ministry to be like a Cliff Young and to just persevere, to keep at it. May not look the greatest or be the most equipped and definitely the jeers and the awkward shouts and the insults and the opposition, but how great will it be when you and I cross our finish line and hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. We're told to press on. I want you to look here in Psalm 13 at this, this great little psalm. It's a psalm written by David. David wrote so many. David's in a bad place in his life. He's depressed and he's exhausted. Maybe you've been in that place. He has troubles with King Saul. If you remember, David, as a young boy, was told he was going to be the next king. And... Uh, as a young man, he responds properly, he's wise, he, 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 he listens to authority, he's teachable. If I was a kid and I was told I was going to be the next president or, you know, uh, I'd be on Instagram and posting this all over the place. And, and the Bible said he's wise beyond his years and uh, God uses him. And, you know, the instance with David and Goliath. And, I mean, he's, he's lauded and he's praised and he doesn't let that go to his head. But other people have issues with David and one being Saul. And uh, you remember the historical facts that Saul, uh, for all intents and purposes, runs David out of his own home. And David's on the run. He's a fugitive. He's looking over his shoulder constantly, consistently. And this doesn't happen for a few days, a couple of weeks, a few months. But we're talking about a period of time over years that David is left with some kind of uncertainty not knowing if today would be his last day. And having those doubts and those questions that all of us do have in our own life at times. And he writes this psalm under these circumstances, and notice what he writes. How long will you forget me, O Lord? Forever? I don't know if you've ever been in that position. God... You obviously have forgotten me. How long will this continue? How long will you hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart every day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Saul's running around. He, he's still in charge. He, he, he's respected. and I, 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 don't, I don't understand. And how long? Consider God, verse 3, and hear me, O Lord my God. 
lighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. God, I'm not going to make it. We would say today, this is killing me. Lest my enemies say, I prevailed against him, and those that trouble me rejoice when I'm moved. All of a sudden, the timbre of his song changes a bit. But, now whether there's a period of time here, whether there's a process, and I would think that it is, David says, I have trusted in thy mercy. How many of you believe God is merciful? We've all been the choicest recipients of God's mercy. I have trusted in your mercy, and my heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. And I will sing unto the Lord, because he hath dealt bountifully with me. So he starts this psalm really overwhelmed in his life, and he ends up just rejoicing and full of faith and full of praise towards God. Wow, how did he do that, and how did he do that so quickly? Again, I would submit to you there's a process involved, but he's really exhibiting what you and I experience often on a daily basis. And we find ourselves in a position where all of a sudden we're overwhelmed and we're discouraged and we're depressed and we're exhausted. And that there's people who seem to be getting away with things and, and at our expense. And it doesn't appear that God is around or God is hearing our prayers or God is uh, uh, intervening on our behalf. David feels like when he writes this psalm, he can't go on one more day. He can't go one more hour. He cannot even go on one more minute. How quickly time flies when things are going well and how slowly they creep along when we struggle. Maybe it's a physical illness that won't go away. Maybe it's a financial situation that continually lingers and you just cannot seem to get out of that situation. For some, it's a wayward son or daughter, an alcoholic spouse, an unsaved loved one, and you just think, how long will this go on? Your pastor knows what it's like to hear the conversations of people on a regular basis who say, I just don't know if I can continue to go on. I don't know if I can stay in this marriage. I don't know that I can continue to, to, to just do what God has asked me to do. We all find ourselves at some point in life in the same situation as David. You find him overwhelmed, but he concludes by saying, I have trusted in your mercy and my heart shall rejoice. The reality is this, David was important to God. You and I are important to God. Now, we all take that for granted, that we understand that, we all know that, but the reality is sometimes we just need to hear it. You are important to God. David was important. He was his child. And that the great thing about salvation is not only that our sins are forgiven and we're pardoned, and not only is it that, that, that we have an eternal home, but now we become a child of a living God. We are in his family. Once you're born, you can't be unborn. And so you have this a wonderful relationship with Almighty God. 
God will be merciful to you as he was to David. God will help you. God is our hope. He is our strength. And we're told to trust in him. David works his way through this process. And by the way, this isn't the only time he had some some overwhelming experiences or a bad day or a dark hour. I mean, you read and you find that this is a, becomes almost a, a daily habit because we're in, we're in these, these sin-cursed bodies and life is what it is and culture is what it is. And, 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 and listen, it, it gets on you sometimes, but it's that uh, understanding that when it does, there's a process that ultimately I have to remember and recognize that there is a God who loves me and values me and he will never abandon me and his mercy will be there for me when I need it most. And we're told to trust him, trust the mercies of God. And so I'd like to just point out a few observations tonight. I think things that I hope will be helpful, things that I I believe really help David process and come to that point where he could say, hey, I trust in the mercies of God. Why could he say that? And I just want to share these with you. Notice, first of all, because God considers us. Verse 3, David asks God, please consider me. The word consider literally means to scan, look intently, to, to examine every part of me. David is asking God, to to view every aspect of his life. He wanted God to to, to make sure that he wanted God to to, to be able to see his physical limitations. God, I'm on my way to an early grave here if you don't do something. I, I just need you you to look objectively and honestly at my life and, 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 and see, am I blowing this out of proportion? Am I overreacting? But, but I believe as you consider me that you will do so justly and objectively and, and honestly and that you will see I'm struggling. Physical limitations. I've got mental, I've got emotional stress. Every day he says, really in verse 2, God, if you don't want to help me, I'm trying to, to solve life's problems. I'm trying to come to con- conclusions in my own uh, merit, in my own uh, uh, efforts, in my own wisdom, because you're silent. I, I, I'm not getting anything from you. And, and I know I don't have the answers. So I'm struggling physically. I'm struggling mentally. I'm struggling emotionally. Not to mention the enemies who are pursuing me relentlessly. And God, what I'm asking you to do is to look at my life and to look accurately and objectively and honestly because I trust that you're the only person that can do that. Now, you know as well as I do that, that a word fitly spoken, it's, it's, it's like pictures of silver, apples of gold. It's a wonderful thing that people are great in encouragement when they are in encouragement. But you know as well as I do that, that sometimes people just cannot understand everything that you and I experience. And we are incapable at times to, to truly be as transparent or as communicative as we need to be to help them to understand that. That all in all, in all reality, there are just things that only God can understand about us. 
And so David says, God, I'm not even asking you to send somebody good in my life that I can talk to. I'm not even, right now what I'm asking is that you look at my life and consider me as you do, and you will be able to make honest evaluation because I trust that you and you alone can do that. David realized that though he felt like his trials were going to send him to an early death, he came to the realization that God knew him, that God knew where he was and what he was going through, and that God could be his salvation. God understands you and I like no one else. He knows what it's like to be misunderstood. He knows what it is like to feel alone. God knows what it's like to not be able to explain all that you face in life, and he alone is able to be our salvation. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. If you want to turn there just quickly, hold your finger here in Psalm 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and most of you know this passage, but we're reminded, Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, We're told that no testing, none comes upon us, but what we are able to bear with his help. That we know that everything that happens in our life, verse 13, God is faithful. There is no temptation. There is no testing, but such as is common to man. Truth is, someone has been through what I am going through, and someone has been through what you are going through. God is always faithful. I'm not always faithful, but God is always faithful. And he will not allow or suffer me to be tested or tempted above that I'm able. And in connotation, that means with his help. God never says, listen, here you go, good luck, and I promise I'm not going to dump something on you that you yourself cannot handle. It's in connotation. It's that I'm not going to allow something that comes into your life that you and I together in tandem cannot accomplish. Remember, we're to come to him because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. There will always be that way of escape that we may be able to bear it. David understood God knows my life. He knows me. Psalm 139, which is a great psalm. If you ever uh, are discouraged and you need to remember who you are in God and to God, Psalm 139 is such a great psalm. Whither shall I go from thy spirit or whither shall I flee from thy presence? You know, if I send up into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning or dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall your right hand lead me and your hand shall hold me. That how precious are your thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. That God, you know when I speak. You know when I rise. You know when I lay down. You know the words that I speak before I do. You know more about me than, than anyone else. And here's the thing. God won't misjudge. God won't make a, 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 a wrong assessment of our life. God, when he looks at us, does so with honesty and with truth. When nobody else understands, God does. When you cannot explain your frustration, your anger, your hurt, your sorrow, your discouragement, God understands. And when nobody else can seemingly help you, he can. 
And he can be the one who is your salvation and joy. Most of us know and quote Isaiah 40 so often, where the Bible tells us, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. But preceding those verses, we're reminded, and God asked a question, Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? And there is no searching of his understanding. He understands it all. So in my time when I want to faint or give up or can't press on or God, it seems so far away, I'm overwhelmed. Be encouraged, work through the process and understand there is no one who will view you, love you, minister to you like God. And he will consider you and me. Notice what else I find in Psalm 13. If you go back, David says, consider me in verse 3 and hear me, O Lord my God. You ever get frustrated because you're talking to people and they're not listening to you? You ever talk to somebody and they're looking at you, but you know the lights are on, and, but nobody's home. They are not listening to you. They're, they're thinking about something else. Okay? It's amazing to me with all the technology today and social media, you know, we can email, we can call, we can text, we can FaceTime, we can do all these things. And isn't it still frustrating? There's still some people we cannot seem to connect with. It's very frustrating when you want to be heard and you cannot be heard. People live in relationships where they feel like they are never heard. People feel like they do a lot of talking, but no one understands what they are saying. So David says, I'm overwhelmed. I'm not going to make this. I, 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 am, I am close to death's door, God, and I need you. I need you to look at me and observe me and evaluate me. If I'm wrong, call me out on it, but only you. You're the only one that I trust won't spin it and, and, won't, and won't use it for wrong motivations and won't be dishonest. You, I need you to evaluate my life. Look at me top to bottom. And then, God, I'm asking you to please hear me. Four times, four times in this little song, you read the question, how long, God? Took us two hours, or actually two and a half, to drive here from the city. It took us 45 minutes just to get out of the city. And about 30 minutes in, my five-year-old said, uh, how long is this ride? <laughs> right? And then, well, you know, and 10 minutes later, how long and how long? And then I started thinking, yeah, how long is this ride as time was getting close? Four times. Notice, verse 1, how long will you forget me, Lord? David felt like he was forgotten by God. Now, I get it. We understand cerebrally that we're not forgotten by God, but boy, it feels like it at times. We let our emotions get the best of us. He felt like God had no longer heard him. God, how long is this going to go on? Now, you, you know as well as I do that silence does not mean absence. But silence is very frustrating at times. David said, God, 
it, it appears you are not listening to me anymore. And how long is this? Is this going to? Is this it? Is this the new normal? Is this going to last forever? Where you won't hear me? Notice he asked, "How long will you hide your face from me?" It's like when I think. That, that, that I know where you are and, and I think I, I come to you in the right way. It's like you move. It's like you're hiding from me. It's like we're playing a, a, a giant game of hide and seek. God, how long, verse 2, shall I continue to take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my own heart? God, I am so emotionally drained and confused and I just feel like I'm having to make all these decisions and I'm trying to figure things out because you're silent. And, and how long do I need to continue to do this? How long am I going to have to feel like I'm out here all alone? And then God, what about all these enemies? I mean, it was you that told me I was to be the next king. It was you that said you honor obedience and, and, and you, you, you punish uh, uh, disobedience. And, and God, I don't, I don't understand. And the enemies are uplifted, it appears. And, and everything seems to be going well in their life. And how long? Do you ever feel like, God, if I just knew how much longer, then I could stay in. I, I could tough it out if this is going to be another year. I, if I just knew in the next six months it was going to all work out all right, I, I'm in. Have you ever found God doesn't reveal those things often to us? Because we are to walk by faith and not by sight. But David's got the questions and ultimately feels as though God is not hearing him. God, did you forget me? I get it that men forget me. Remember Psalm 142? He said, I looked on my right hand. There was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. Nobody cared for my soul. Okay, I get that if nobody else wants to help me. But now you... Remember that Jesus knew what it was like to feel forgotten. Jesus, the night before his death, the night he's betrayed, he's praying in the garden, and he asks his three closest friends, pray with me, and what do they do? They sleep. And it's a few hours later that he's on that cross, and he's experiencing that cup, that cup that he said, if it's possible, let it pass, that, that, that judgment that was coming, not just the physical, but the emotional uh, pain that he was going to feel, that feeling of, of loneliness that not only his friends, but everybody would abandon him, that spiritual pain of becoming sin, something he'd never experienced before. And he goes through this, and on the cross he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He understands what it feels like to be alone, isn't it amazing in such a, uh, a busy, well-connected world, you can still feel alone? It's interesting when they do surveys of people involved in social media. More than ever, huge majority of people involved with social media said they feel more alone today with all the social media than they did before the social media. Jesus knew what it was to feel alone. Bible says in that he himself has suffered in the book of Hebrews chapter 2. He is able to help or succor them that are tested and tempted. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He won't. He may be silent, 
There may be those days, there may be those hours, there may be even those weeks, but I must remember God knows what I'm going through. He has experienced it himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And he has promised me that his ears would be open unto my prayer. That I would not be alone. His feelings brought him low. They put a knot in his stomach. His enemies were weighing heavy on him. God, all I'm asking is that you evaluate my life. Now, again, this goes to sometimes we know why God doesn't hear because our lives aren't what they need to be. But here you see a man not perfect, but who is completely just yielded to God. And God, I'm just asking you, you evaluate. I know you will give me a fair shake. Consider this life and God, hear me. Hear my prayer. Very interestingly, by the end of the psalm, you see the rejoicing because he knew that his prayers were being heard. Psalm 34, this poor man cried, David would say, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. See, God is never in a hurry. God is never late. Just when you and I cannot go one step further, he will save us out of our troubles. But we have to trust him. Think of C.S. Lewis who said, we're not necessarily doubting that God will do the best for us. We're just wondering how painful the best will turn out to be. It's painful. And it's hard. And it's lonely. But God will do what God said he would do. That's really, I find, the source of David's final uh, encouragement. What kept him going. Not only did he know God would consider him and God would hear him, but he remembered God's promises. You'll notice in verse 5, but I have trusted in your mercy. See, David was learning there's the spiritual side of the law of thermodynamics. The greater the heat, the greater the expansion. The more that God works on us in our life, the greater growth that we can have. David cries out to the God of promise, Jehovah and Elohim, the God of all power, the God who had promised that he was going to be king. He was going to have the kingdom of Israel. God was molding and making David to become a spiritual giant. It's often been said that man's extremity is God's opportunity. When we're at our wit's end, without resources, a loss for our way, perplexed, desperate, fatigued, frustrated, that's usually when God steps in and begins to work. God was more concerned with David's character than with David's complications. Why do you think about that for a minute? Quite frankly, God's not overly concerned about all the circumstances in our life. He's more concerned about who we are and our yieldedness to him. He can use those circumstances and those conditions and at times complications, but he'll always use them to make us more like him, to draw us closer to him. We understand God's never trying to push us away, but always trying to bring us close. To James's point, if we draw nigh to God, he will always draw nigh to us. God was concerned that David would be who he needed to be. David's got a big job upcoming in the years to come. 
David, little to his understanding, is going to rule Israel for 40 years. David is going to be the one through whom the Messiah is going to come. And I've got to put him in some trial, and I've got, got to test him a little bit. And he's got to run around in the wilderness, and he's going to have some low times. And he's going to have some times of doubt, and he's got to work through this process. And I need him to see if he's going to quit, and he's going to fall by the wayside, he's going to throw in the towel, he's going to curse God and die, or if he's going to work through this process and understand there is nobody in this world who can help me like God. And God has helped me, and he deserves my trust in the future. He remembered the promises of God. He, we want God to change all of our circumstances. God wants to change us. Not our circumstances. Us. So David finally realizes this truth, and he determines to press on, to do what was necessary in his life. And what do we find in verses five and six? He trusts God. He gives God thanks. He praises God, even though he's in an overwhelming situation. Notice, by the way, he says in verse six, I will sing unto the Lord right now, present tense. I'm gonna sing because he dealt bountifully with me. What, what, what happened? God just snapped a finger and everything was changed. Saul's dead. David's in the palace. All is good. no. No. What happened? David's perspective changed. He's still in the wilderness. He's still just as, from a human perspective, as bad off as he was five minutes ago. But his spiritual eyes have been opened. And he realizes that God has a purpose and a plan for everything. And that if anybody's going to help him, it's going to be God. And I will sing and give praise because God has been good to me. You know, there's a reason why the Bible always speaks about being thankful all the time. Because when we're thankful, it, it puts God back into the center of our life. Remember these principles. God never changes. He's always the same. Circumstances change, but not God. God that helped you a year ago is the same God tonight. He'll be the same God 10 years from now. So why did I trust him a year ago, but all of a sudden I have no faith now and, and I just gave up on all of that? He's the same God. I change and everything around me changes. Sadly, that's not always for the good. But God never changes. Remember this, before God does anything about our situation, he wants us, uh, he wants to do something about us. He's not just there to be the magic genie and the, good, the lucky rabbit's foot and just to bail us out of trouble. He wants us to grow. He wants to develop our character before he deals with those complications in life. You know the verse, Romans 8, 28. We know all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are the called according to his purpose. God always does and allows in our life what he does and allows for his honor and for his glory. It's all about him. You know what will help you and me? When our desire in life becomes the glory of God more than our satisfaction. If we will live our life for the glory of God, God will do amazing things in and through us. We want to be satisfied. We want to be comfortable. We want to have answers. 
It has to be about God's glory. For all things are for your sakes, so that the abundant grace might, through the thanksgiving of many, redound to the glory of God. God is working in our lives. I don't know your story tonight, and maybe all is well, and you haven't gotten to this point, Psalm 13, but hold it, it's coming. You'll find yourself saying, God, how long? How much more? I can't do this. When's it going to change? You can bail or you can press on. What will help you press on and what will help me press on is when I work through the process and understand God is a God who is worthy of being trusted. He and he alone will consider me like no one else. He understands me. He knows me. He evaluates me. He will hear me. He may not respond right away, but he will hear. And he has made promises that he cannot break. God has a long history of keeping his word. It's up to us to determine if we will trust in him. And I find it interesting. David said in verse 5, there's a time I had trusted and I shall rejoice. And Right now, I'm just going to sing to the Lord. I'm just going to make this my pattern of life. I'm just going to continue to trust in the mercies of God. Cliff Young, amazing story. Plotted along, kept on going, despite what others did or didn't do. And he won the prize. If we're faithful, we trust in God. He'll be glorified. And we'll be honored as being those men and women who were found faithful. And may God help us to do that. Let's bow our heads, please. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be found faithful. Help us, Lord, to trust in your mercy. Lord, most of us would say we have. Lord, but yet, how do we forget? How do we somehow move away from that? Life is overwhelming. Lord, just what we hear, what we see, what we experience, how we feel. Lord, help us not to move away from this very simple but necessary truth that we're to walk by faith every day. Lord, you're worthy of our praise today, yesterday, tomorrow. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be found faithful. Let us think of you, consider you as you consider us. Thank you that you hear us. Thank you that you know us. Thank you for the promises given to us. Help us to rest in those truths, we pray. Work in hearts tonight, we ask in Jesus' name.